Welcome back to the Disaster Tough Podcast. I'm your host, John Scardina. Last week and this week were crazy. Last week, I was dealing with a bunch of real-world stuff, and then we had the fiasco that happened in Florida. Fiasco? I don't know. Uh, annoying, but not the end of the world, I think is the quote from Zach Borst on EM Weekly. You really want to make sure you check out his show that covers all things about mass notifications in Florida. So again, big shout out to Zach with uh, EM Weekly there. So check that out. This week has been also insane. So I want to record two episodes. This is going to be a two-part. I'm going to talk about the overview of communications. And then I want to talk about school safety. So there are going to be two different episodes here. But um, both have been on my mind a lot lately. I teach at St. Louis University. I'm an adjunct professor there. And I have to put on that professor hat, you know, serious, whatever. And um, I, I made uh, a motion with my glasses there. Um, but... On here, I just want to be a little bit more um, open and talk about these things on a 50,000-foot level or strategic level to help you who are getting into emergency management and you hear about you know, the intercontinental ballistic missile you know, test message for in Hawaii that we all kind of joke about, or you're looking at um, a test alert that went out at 4.30 in the morning because they accidentally checked another box not just TVs, but on up to all the radio towers as well. So on their phones. So if you're in Florida and you're like, how in the world did that happen? Again, check out EM Weekly. Zach Borst talks about that. But if you're learning about emergency management and you want to learn about disaster communications, as a teacher, I get to talk about this all the time at SLU. But I also want to provide the context here on our podcast. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough Endorsements. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapsed and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at l3harris.com right now. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. Okay, let's jump back in. And really help you as the end user um, and potential user in the future to look at this stuff. So if you've been in emergency management for a while and you haven't done communications, or you're wondering if you've been in the field a long time like my, me, and you're like, why is communications always on every single after action? First of all, I wonder if there's a little bit of like, if I don't include it, what happens? But uh, the reality here is that we can overcome some of this stuff, and we should. And so if we're going to be talking about communications on a general scale, I'm going to talk about some of the things that I give the students on our very first week as a general overview of communications. So one of the one of the things that we want to talk about is um, strategic thinking, being creative, and um, attention to detail. So those three things we actually cover. I think about ten different things in, the, in that very first class. But those three things, right? Your strategic thinking, being creative, and attention to detail are so absolutely important to the field of communications and emergency management. There's so much overlap. So you could be working at a PR firm, I don't know, for Coke, or you could be working as an emergency manager for a local county in emergency management. It, 
they are not independent. Like those skills are absolutely required in order to be successful in basically any job that requires coordination and collaboration. So let's talk about strategic thinking here and the idea of communications. Now, effective communication strategies require careful planning, uh, deep understanding of the audience and right and the communication channels available. It also requires people to be competent in making sure that all the plans and procedures are put in place so that you don't accidentally check the box for WAE or WEA and make sure that you don't send out a message at 4.30 in the morning. So when we're thinking about that and how the general public is going to react to the information that we send out, in terms of exercise design, which is what happened in Hawaii versus testing, which is what happened in Florida, you want to create plans and procedures in place to make sure that you don't mess up. Now, in a testing environment, there's like the iPods, like monthly testing that you need to do. And you need to have um, competency in the technical skills and practice those constantly. In an exercise design like in Hawaii, it doesn't need to go out to the general public. There's, there's no reason for that. And so putting the policies in place of like creating your data sets for the users who's going to use it um, or to make sure you contact the dispatch centers, local media uh, partners like that. And to make sure that they are aware so that when during this exercise, one, they could be involved potentially, but two, if something ever did went wrong, immediately there could be corrections that went out by everybody and have those templates in place. Um, once you send it out to the general public, you can't recall that. You can't get it back. Um, it's not like an email where you can set like a 30 second you know, return, right? Like once that, those towers are pinged, the towers are pinged. And how do you deal with an issue with that? They're not, those aren't the only two examples, by the way, Hawaii and Florida. I think there was one in Virginia that's pretty notable as well. But that being said, when we send out communications or when we're thinking about communicating with the public, I would never go into that situation unprepared. Great um, podcast by uh, Prescott where he's talking about going into um, uh, press briefings with you know, his three talking points and he sticks to those three talking points. He knows what he wants to talk about. I think Jackie Chandler, she's going to come onto the podcast here in a few weeks and she's going to be talking about leading a PIO um, team during a type one incident. Really fascinating perspective, by the way. But everything we do in communications, whether it's a mass notification or it's communicating with the public, you want to have a plan, a strategic plan. Not only are you thinking about the information you want to send, what's more important is thinking about the audience who's going to receive that information. I can't believe how many times I've seen people walk through their ideas and I had to ask them, well, what's your audience? Right. I even do this with the podcasters. Funny enough, when they join our podcast network, I say, you know, how is your audience going to receive this? Who is your audience? And what happens when people are untrained, they revert back to like, well, I want to talk about this, or I think this is important, or I, 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 I. And that's not how it works. Whether you're podcasting, I'm trying to talk to you, or I'm, you know, working with, you know, a community, and we're about to do a community event, i.e. a fair or a town hall meeting. I'm walking in there recognizing that 
these people have cultural language, different backgrounds and perspectives, um, life events that could impact their decisions. And so I need to be cognizant of that. Now, do I need to hide from the truth when I talk to people? Absolutely not. But how I communicate that reality to them is incredibly important and how they're going to receive it. So if people are not going to receive the information, why communicate? Uh, there's a great example of this on the Readiness Lab uh, about a month ago now. We had four different posts. We did, an, we did a test. So you guys get to kind of know the secret sauce here. We did a test. All four posts said the exact same thing. Um, I sent one out for my personal. We did one from Disaster Tough. We did a, a video clip, and then we just provided the plain information. And three of the four were received very, very well. Um, thank you for all those who liked the post, who sent us um, direct messages, who uh, got on board with kind of what we're, we're trying to do here with um, you know, upping our game of making us become more visible in the field and you know, in a way more likable um, with stakeholders. And then there was a there was one post that just got blasted. Now, funny enough, on that blasted post, it all came from literally one source. And we were able to trace it back to that source. It was somebody that we fired and they were just they're just ridiculous because they've rebranded themselves after we fired them. And they talked about why we don't need rebranding. That was smart. But um, he and a couple of his friends just like, you know, berated that one post. And what I thought was hilarious about that is the time and effort they put into that and the lack of effort we put into responding. We didn't respond. We didn't even address it really. And um, we just kind of put them in their own box and let the, you know, let them kind of, you know, whatever they do in the, those dark spaces together. But the, uh, the reality is like we can provide information to the general public and a lot of people may like it. Some people may not. Now it's different in Florida when you send out a message at four 30 in the morning, you gotta, you know, there's quote unquote hell to pay there. But the reality is like, we want to help out the most amount of people to do the most amount of good. Right. And communication is the exact same way. Now I really like the story by Simon Sinek who talks about providing, um, a reality check or truth to a friend because he didn't want to be a liar, but he also recognized the situation. And the story that he provides is that he went and saw his friends play and he was really excited to see her play and he got to the play and it was awful. Like the whole thing from start to finish, he was just cringing in his seat. He wanted to get out of there. He didn't enjoy it. There was nothing about that play that he liked. So when his friend comes out after the play and she goes, Hey, what'd you think? And, you know, he recognized that her adrenaline was high, that she was hyped up, that she was all in. And if he would have said your play sucked at that moment, if he thought he was being, you know, like, you know, providing truth or he was like, oh, the, the blunt truth or he thought he was cool. Like the what, what is that stupid uh, uh, Jersey attitude? You know, all that stuff is BS. So he had to recognize that he needed to have some emotional intelligence there and say, hey. I'm going to provide you the information that, you know, I want to provide. So he's thinking about this and he goes, I was so excited to see you perform and I'm so happy for you. And I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to see my friend up on stage. All those things were true. And the way he talks about that, man, I've, I resonated with me so much. It's kind of like being a peacemaker. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. Um, <clears throat> however, 
once her adrenaline was down and she was a, more of a you know logical state rather than emotional state just finishing this performance he was able to call her the next day and say hey i loved seeing my friend up on stage let me provide you some feedback about the content of the performance and so they were having they were able to have a great conversation and, and really save their friendship the same thing's true with the public you want that opportunity to save things um, that are true, but you also need to recognize the moment. And what I have found so much in media partners, uh, gosh, I even hate to be compared to them, but people in mass media, right? The, the, the big guys, um, these pundits get on there and they just blast people. Um, some of the things that they're saying are true. A lot of it's emotional. A lot of it's like, that's eh, a gray area or just blatantly untrue. That happens every once in a while. People get riled up and they, they justify means for the ends, which you should never do. But they lose the opportunity to actually gain the very audience that they're pushing it back against. And uh, sometimes, again, dark corner people, let them fester in the dark corner, not necessary. Other times, when people are on the fence or they're ignorantly um, coming at you, like, for example, if... You know, somebody says like, oh, you know, FEMA camps, like, oh, the FEMA camps, there's no FEMA camps. F FEMA, if you actually saw internally in FEMA, you'd say like nobody's even capable of something like that, let alone this entire agency that is only alive because of federal age, you know, federal funding. Um, it is pretty disorganized. However, there's amazing people who just want to help people. So the idea of FEMA camps is just ridiculous. But going to somebody and saying you're a moron there's no fema camps what are you talking about and they're like well here's my conspiracy theory you know you guys bought so many body bags yeah because we expect earthquakes and hurricanes to happen and all kinds of crazy stuff and uh, you know you could do that or you could say hey i recognize that as a federal agency um as a public entity you want to be exposed to more information to make sure that you know, you're not going to be in a hurtful situation. And so you try to find the wins. So this is where it comes to being creative. Now, we kind of talked about that with emotional intelligence a little bit. But um, one of the best tactics to deal with hecklers or to deal with naysayers or to deal with... Do you ever have that um, uh, coworker who just like, no matter what you say, you could literally give them a million dollars. You could win a lottery and give them a million dollars and they'll find some way to be negative about it. We all have those people in our lives. Sometimes we are those people. Let's be honest. Um, but like, there's even like, there's those people. And then there's like the people that like, just hate you for being you. And like, you know, they'll complain about things like the way you breathe. Right. Like, Oh my gosh, could you imagine how he breathed there? It's like, Oh geez. So how do you deal with all these kind of groups? Steve jobs. And there's lots of clips of Steve doing it where he gets out there and somebody says something horrible, right? Uh, or not even horrible, but dis disagreeable. You can disagree, but not be disagreeable, right? And he will find the one thing that he, he can latch onto that he can agree with. He will comment it. He'll make the person feel heard, and then he'll completely move on. And I love that tactic. I think it's a tactic that we need to learn much more in emergency management. Uh, when a stakeholder or let's say your supervisor, you work at a campus and that supervisor, or that dean says, like, I don't believe in 
emergency plans. They're worthless. They're a waste of time. I don't like them. It's too much reading. It's too much that. And they just go on and they try to blast everything you do. They don't believe in readiness. And what do you do in that moment? Now, I've seen a lot of people just like start butting heads like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm the real professional in the room, blah, 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 blah. But again, that doesn't win over the dean, right? You, you have to be creative in that moment. So, for example, if somebody says, I don't believe in emergency plans, I don't think they're helpful, I, don't, I can just react in real time, blah, blah, blah. What is one possible thing that you could do to overcome that? I don't know if I should put on like the Jeopardy music while, while you're thinking this through. I'll pause for like five seconds. One. Okay. So what would you say to that? This is what I would say. If somebody said again, hey, I hate emergency plans. I don't think they're helpful. Either, you know, this thing is never going to happen to me or, you know, uh, I can just respond in real time because I'm a pretty smart person. All there's There's actually several points there that you could latch on to. One of which is saying, hey, you're right. These this catastrophic disasters don't happen very often. I absolutely agree with you. So if you don't have a plan in place, you won't know what to do because you haven't thought about it in such a long time that you know you'll be novice. Just like if you have somebody who needs to drive a car but they haven't ended up driven a car in 20 years, do you really think they're going to be very good at it? So I totally agree with you that the stuff is pretty rare. So that's why we need a plan. And then I'll just continue on. Or if they say I can just respond in real time. Hey, I recognize that you're highly intelligent. As a highly intelligent people, you know, or as a highly intelligent person, I think you would agree that not everybody's on the same playing field. And so a plan helps everybody get on the same, same playing field and just move on. Um, the example that was used before where we had to test it out was Somebody saying to us, I don't believe that we should use vehicles anymore because they take up too much space. Parking lots are too wide. I think we should use hot air balloons and elephants to steer those hot air balloons to land and then go in the building. Now, that sounds like ridiculous, right? Like, how could you possibly agree with anything in that statement? You could say something like, hey, I agree that space is limited in our parking lot and we need to find creative solutions like public transportation to help other people um, get into the parking lot. And that would save a lot of space. Also, it would probably save on gas um, and blah, blah, blah for, for people and move on. You don't have to address the fact that they thought of hot air balloons or they thought emergency plans were, were terrible or they you know need to do this stuff. Like you can find the one point you grew on and, and move on. So that's where you want to be creative. You also want to come up with innovative solutions that are important to uh you know our field which is constantly evolving right so think about that um for a while all right so the last thing i want to talk about today is attention to detail as emergency managers sometimes especially if we have a first responder background or a military background we say things like 80 percent solution is enough and honestly you have to operate like that sometimes even with like data so that you can do something because you have to do something to help people whether it's in the readiness and planning phase or it's you're actually getting out there and trying to save and sustain life, you have to do something. You can't just wait on the sidelines. So the attention to detail from a communications perspective, you need to be accurate. What you need to provide is needs to be well-written and error-free. And uh, you need to have as much attention to detail as essential to communicating your message. I have... 
uh, had to work through this. I'm a terrible speller. Oh my gosh. And I'm a person. This is why I like having a staff. I am a person who hates editing. I don't know why I hate editing so much. Once I, once I write the thing, I don't want to do a second or third draft. And I want to send it out. That is never really a good idea. And I've had to learn um, in my professional career to like the, to learn to love the second and third draft and to uh, provide that community input so that by the time it sends it out, every line is a, is a powerful statement. I like the phrase that people are accustomed to short, powerful statements. I'll say that again. People are accustomed to short, powerful statements. What you want in your writing, in your message, is that if somebody's interested in your topic, they like it so much that they end up wanting to highlight every line or every sentence in that because it all is relevant for them. So I would include that in your press briefs, in your social media outreach. We've had to do that. We've had to really train ourselves at the Readiness Lab because we don't really have paid advertisers yet, hopefully. So um, we've had to learn to like, oh, if if we're already putting all the content in the video or in the image, we also don't need to write five paragraphs about this too. Who knew? So we let the field uh, come up with uh, the answers in um, in the topics that we're, we're trying to address. And that goes for all of our podcasts. That goes through... Um, our podcast network, the readiness lab, that kind of stuff. So um, be accurate. Um, again, you can provide the right information without providing too much information or not enough information. Just provide what's essential so that people will do the thing that you want them to do in communications. I like to tell people in my class that the role of communications is to sell. You want people to take information and to action it to do something with it. Whether you're sending out an evacuation order, you want people to actually evacuate or you want people to shelter in place or you want people to attend your fair or to listen to your politician when they're about to get up and talk about why hurricane readiness is so important, whatever it may be, you know, your job is really to make sure that you recognizing the audience and you can get the audience to do them what you want using truth and persuasion and creativity and all these skills that are required in strategic thinking. So that's what I would think on a high level of communications. We go into that a lot more into the Sioux class. And I wish I could show you the content that the students were making. I should ask their permission, actually. It's really fun to see their process. We talk about all things from mass notifications to social media, town halls, creating strategic plans. Um, all kinds of different stuff. And uh, what is it like to be a PIO? Even press briefings, they, they do um, tests there. It's a really fun class to be a part of. I hope that as you go out into the field, whether you're as the PIO or you're just operating in the field of emergency management or whatever field you're in right now, you can think about strategic thinking, creativity, and attention to detail more. And I'm sure as you do, you will be much more effective in how you come across and really getting what you want in order to help and, and sustain life. So that's my call out for this podcast. And we're going to do part two here pretty soon. Thanks. Thanks.